sacred word. We thank you, Father, for just the purity of it, the perfectness of it. Father, it's so complete as it is. And we thank you, Father, that we can hold it in our hand and that, Father, we can allow it to burn in our hearts and, Father, be shared with our lips. Father, tonight, may you encourage us from your word. May you instruct us and enable us, Lord, to overcome, to be more victorious in our lives on your behalf. We thank you for the world that we live in, the opportunity to live, to breathe, to, to dysfunction. And Lord, as the world is in darkness, thank you for the wonderful light that we have and that we are. And Lord, may our light shine bright in this dark day in which we live. And Father, when others have no reason to smile, may we find a way to do so in Thee. Lord, may our light shine ever bright in this world in which we live. And may we, Father, be able to provide hope because we have You and Your Word in our lives. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, in our passage, we noted a number of things. And again, we're in our third week on this. But we saw that there's uh, obviously the race. We noted the race. And then we said that that race is a race that's to be run, of course, but it's a race to be won. Not just run, but won. And that's important. And I believe tonight that uh, you're here tonight, obviously, is proof positive that you not only want to run the race, you want to win the race. I mean, you wouldn't waste your time on a Wednesday night coming back to church if you just wanted to lose the race, if you just wanted to fail. In your Christian walk. I can't believe that. So you're here tonight and obviously you recognize that there's a race. And you realize that race is to be won. And obviously you have a desire to to uh, do well in this Christian race in which God has left you here to run. Then we have the reward. It says here, the we note in verse 25, he understands that the reward is an eternal payoff. It's not just temporal, it's eternal. And then finally we saw, uh, we also saw the response I should say. And as a result of the fact that there's a race to be run and the goal is to win, he realizes that the payoff is eternal. The writer also doesn't want to get sidetracked. He doesn't want to lose sight of the finish line. And so that's his response. He says, listen, I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to miss reaching the goal. And I want to succeed in this Christian race. I want to win the Christian race. I want to please my Lord. And so we saw, see his resolve in verse 27. He says basically that he's cautious to take steps to remain in that race and to finish that race. Now, again, if we want to finish strong, we want to win the race, then we're going to have to uh, uh, do a couple of things along the way. And in this particular case, uh, we're, go- we're sharing some things, of how, uh, some ways to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. And every one of us struggle with those issues. Every one of us are constantly bombarded with lust and with sin. We always have to make decisions day in, day out, uh, which direction to go, what choice to make, you know, where to head in our lives. And boy, I'll tell you, we're tempted so often. And the fact is, is that God wants us to be able to overcome those things. He wants us to be victorious. He already says we're more than conquerors. So now it's just a matter of applying these principles and applying the promises of God in a way that we can literally experience this victory. And so we started noting or we looked at, first of all, the problem. And we said the problem was the depravity of society. That was one of the issues. How wicked and how vile and wretched our culture is. Boy, I'll tell you what, it doesn't make it any easier to overcome sinful lifestyles when you're faced with a life or should I say a world in which we live the way it is. 
I mean, every time you drive down the road, everything you see along the way, everything you listen to is tainted with the sin of, of Adam. And boy, I'll tell you what, we struggle to re- remain pure and clean and effective in the Christian life in which we live. We notice not only one of the problems being the depravity of society, we said the drought of Scripture. The reality is, is that as much as we would like to believe that we're really deep down in the Word of God, that we're really putting in the time and the effort we ought to, probably more than likely we spend more time listening to the news. We spend more time in a magazine or we spend more time online dealing with friends and others than we do even speaking and in, in, in focusing on our Master and the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. And probably we've studied more about secular things than we've studied about eternal things. And, and, and so it's, it's an indictment to all of us. Every last one of us could probably, more than likely, spend more time in the Word. And we said that one of the reasons why we struggle with sinful habits and one of the reasons why we seem to be bound and we seem to be in vice is because we are not uh, in the Word of God as maybe we ought to be. And it seems there's a drought of Scripture in Christianity as a whole. And finally, three, uh, thirdly, we said as far as the problem was concerned, the depth of spirituality. The depth. I believe everybody's a spiritual being. Biblically, scripturally, it's very clear that we're all spiritual beings. Uh, the problem is whether or not we're, we're really of any depth, whether spiritual depth. And we talk about the fact over in the book of Psalm chapter 1, we see that tree planted by the rivers of water. And boy, I'll tell you what, its roots are running deep. And there it's receiving the nutrients and just the elements that it's necessary and needful for it to not only thrive as a tree, but to produce as well. And the fact is, is as believers, our roots ought to grow so deep in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Word of God that we too are fruitful. And that our fruit remains and that we are strong in the midst of the storms of life. And unfortunately, the depth of spirituality that seems to be prevalent in our world today and in so-called Christianity, as we said, it's about uh, two inches deep and about two miles wide. And sadly enough, as soon as the storms come in our lives, as soon as temptation seems to grip our hearts, often we're uprooted and the devil gets the victory. And so we've said, okay, well then what's the prescription? How do we deal with some of those issues? How, how can we overcome some of the difficulties that we face, some of the obstacles that seem to stand before us? Well, we said, first of all, realize that your battle's a spiritual one. Realize that your battle's a spiritual one. Number two, we said, avoid contact with your area of weakness. You know, avoid contact with your area of weakness. Then thirdly, we said, avoid relationships that would lead you astray. Avoid relationships. And we ended with that one. And so we've already noted three uh, simple elements or per, of, of the prescription, if you will. And we want to continue with number four. So without further ado, let's continue on. We said number four would be saturate yourself with the word of God. Again, if we, we say one of the problems, uh, as we noted here, was the fact that, let me find it here. I just uh, passed it up here. But the drought of scripture. If the drought of Scripture is one of the problems, then we need to get uh, watered in the Word then. We need to really be saturated with the Scriptures then, if that's the case. If we want to overcome sinful lifestyles, we want to be victorious over temptation, then the Word of God's going to have to be very prevalent in our life then. That's just a reality. And um, take your Bible, if you would, look over at Psalm chapter 119, verse 9. Psalm chapter 119, verse 9.
In this particular passage, we read, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's a good question. That's a very good question, is it not? It says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Now, I, I don't... I, I don't know. I, you know, there's kind of a misunderstanding or a misnomer that as you get older, you know, you don't have any more lust. It's easier on you now. It's so much, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. You can deal with more of that. You can be bombarded with it. You can handle it more because you just don't have that kind of stuff going on in your life anymore. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I haven't figured that one out yet. Do you know that I still have to be careful what I look at? You know, I still have a hard time with some of those things. Oh, I may not be able to jump down a flight of steps anymore. I may not be able to do cartwheels like I used to be able to do. And although I can do a lot of things, I can't do some of the things I used to do. And the fact is, is that just because I physically can't do some of the things I used to do, the fact is this still works the exact same way it used to. And, and you know what? I, I, this is a big... First of all, some people use it as an excuse. You know, the older they get. Well, you know, I can, I can hug on this little girls and I can do this and I can do that and I can deal with that and, and I don't have a problem watching shows I used to have a problem with and it don't bother me like it used to and, you know, I, I'm okay. I'm impervious to lust now and I'm never tempted to think bad thoughts now because I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I'm 50 years old. You're a nut. Are you crazy? You know, and so we read a verse like this. Wherewithal shall the young men? Well, that doesn't include me because I'm getting older. So, you know, I'm good to go. I'm probably good. I don't need cleansed. No, we all need this. This applies to us. He's just saying, listen, if that young man who is, is, is just, you know, you know, if, he's, if he can be helped by the word of God, I guarantee you I can. That's all. I mean, that's what we're seeing here. It's not a matter of only young men need the Word of God. What it is is that young men can be helped by the Word of God, and if they can stay clean in the Word of God, then I know I can at 52 years old. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Look if you at Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, the Word of God is so valuable and so important in our life if we want to overcome lust, temptation, if we want to get victory over vice in our life and sins in our lives. The Word of God is truly key. We can't do it without God's Word. Right. Notice Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 here. In verse 25 we read, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Who? The church. The church. Now, wait, you're in the church, right? I'm in the church. You know, we're individuals, but we're all part of one body. Here we are in the church. So he's talking to you and I today then and about us. This applies directly to you and I then. Notice he says here that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Hey, listen, the the picture here is that of something that's dirty that needs cleansed or clean. Well, he says the effect of the word of God is that it's like washing with water. Now, you know, I, I love fried chicken. I really like good fried chicken. I don't know about you. I enjoy it. I heard somebody over here obviously likes it. But the fact is, is that when you eat fried chicken, it's good fried chicken, it gets messy. Because I, I don't like to eat it with a fork. 
I like to eat it with my hands. You know, I like, you know, chew it up there real good, spin it around. Or, or wings even, good wings, you know, chicken. I mean, it's good. And your hands, you get greasy and they get sticky and they get nasty. And then you got those, um, you know, they'll, they'll give you, you know, napkins. You do napkins and the napkin sticks to it. You can, you can almost see your fingerprint through the napkin. You ever get them like that? that that's good chicken right there. That's, that's good stuff right there. But, but so you got that sticky stuff in your hands. And then every once in a while, they'll try to really, you know, dress it up real good, you know, and they'll give you one of those alcohol wipes or whatever those are, you know. And, and so you get those things, and they're already wet, and you tear the pack open, you know, and you open it up, and you start to go like that. And they're really little, and you're trying to get every little finger and every crack. You know, and I mean, it's so little. It's a little square like that, a little white square. And, and you know, and that, those work a little better. They're better than just regular napkin, you know. But you know what? Nothing, 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 in my opinion at least, works like just going to the old-fashioned restroom and turning on the old faucet and using a good old water and maybe even a little soap. That helps a little bit too. But just wash them out there with that water really good. Let that warm water run over your hands. Now that really cleanses all that, gets that, all that grease off there and all that sticky off there. That water really does a good job to clean you up. And may I say that's exactly the picture that God gives us with the Word of God here. He says, real simply, that He might sanctify, set apart unto service, holy service, and cleanse it with the washing of water. He's talking about you. So He can cleanse you and separate you unto His service. He says, this is what I need. It's the Word of God. That washing of the water, the Word of God. He's picturing the Word of God like water, cleansing us and washing us clean. And that's what we're going to need if we're going to overcome sinful habits and lifestyles. We need the Word of God rushing over us, pouring over us, washing us and cleansing us. You know, we want answers today, don't we? Everybody does. But sadly enough, most often, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily you even tonight, but when you deal with people, they, they want the answers, but they don't want the Word of God. Now again, I'm not trying to be negative or critical. I'm just saying they want the solution to their problem as long as we don't... They, they want the, 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 the solution. They want the answer to the problem. They want fixed. They want it to go away. But they don't want the prescription to include or necessitate the Word of God. You know, just help me to stop drinking. Okay, well, let's take our Bibles. And the Bible says you need a relationship with those. But no, no, no. I don't. I, I want to overcome it, but I can't change my lifestyle. I, I, church? The Bible? God? Come on now. I just, I came to you because I want you to help me stop drinking. Stop using drugs. I want you to help me overcome this lust in my life. Okay, well, let's go to the Word of God and let's see what changes are going to need to be made in your life to deal with that sin. I don't want to make a lot of changes. Now, they won't say that to your face, but it's kind of funny they don't want to keep coming back and doing the homework and actually come to church. They want to come to church. I'll meet with you and counsel, but I don't want to come to God's house. That's what most people want to do. They don't want to come to God's house. They just want, to, they just want the fix, you know what I mean? One of the dangers in counseling is that we are desperate to help people. We want them to overcome their particular problem. But so much so at times that we fail to address the real root problem in their life. May I say, 
The real root problem in your life, my life, every last one of our lives, is either a damaged or a missing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Bottom line, that's it. See, the greatest need in your life and mine is a relationship with Him. What did we say early on when we first started our prescription? The first thing we said about the prescription was, realize that your battle is a what? Spiritual one. And you know what? Most people have no clue of that. Even unfortunately, sadly enough, even at times, Christians can't get it. They come in and say, you know what? I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with worry. I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. And God help me. I need help. That's exactly right. God help you. But then when you say, you know what? I noticed that you're not very faithful in God's house. I noticed that you're struggling with your consistency in your word of God. I noticed that you didn't do the reading I asked you to do. I noticed you didn't follow through with the homework I asked you to do. And they say, yeah, I just I, I ran out of time. And I've been so stressed out lately. And I've been having a hard time. I just need help. Just help me with that. I know, but what your greatest problem is your walk with God. Your relationship, yeah, I know that. I know that. But how do how you help me get over this? You, 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 that is how you get over it. People say, no, that's too simple. That, that's, that's just, that's the problem with you Baptists. It's always about God and His Word and all that stuff. Where's the practical stuff? Well, the practical stuff's what we've been talking about, but one of the practical things is that you need to walk in a relationship with God. And you want to know something? You know, want to know why you can't forgive your friends? Why you can't forgive your family? Why you can't forgive that person that you're struggling with? Because you really don't even know who God is. That's right. You got this image and this idea of who God and what He is. And you've made up in your mind what you're able to deal with and what you can handle. And you say, well, when he says forgive, he doesn't really mean forgive in my situation. Because in my situation, this is what happened. And this is how it affected me. And my view of God is this. And I put him in this box. And he fits nice and comfortably there for me. But to forgive that person would be impossible, right? Oh, wait. What's the Bible say? You see, God in the Bible says that you should forgive. So therefore, God must know something. But we'll fight with that. We'll argue with that in our mind because we have this image of who God really is. No, I don't agree with that because I just don't think God would... Ex- That's the problem. You keep thinking what God would do. And keep thinking what God would want you to say. And keep thinking about how He wants you to live. There ain't nothing about thinking. It's right in black and white. It's in the Word of God. But we don't know who God really is. We create our own God. We create an idol God. And we say, I don't worship idols. Yes, you do. If it ain't the God in the Bible, then it's some God you just made up in your mind. That makes him an idol. But we got to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Because in reality, the greatest thing we need is a walk and a relationship with the Creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the key. And, and honestly, it, it's not the first on the list here, but it ought to probably be the first on the list. Because without that relationship and that intense desire to have that relationship with him you will falter and fail and you will not overcome your sin and if you do deal with the one sin that you're struggling with it'll just transfer into some other area of your life because you're not really dealing with the root problem you're only dealing with a symptom look if you would in matthew chapter 11 verse 28 each and every one of us This is where we have to live. Look at Matthew 11. We like to refer to this one for salvation often, but let's just be honest. This is where believers ought to live, right here. 
In Matthew eleven twenty eight, the Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, there's not one person that ever comes to the office or that ever talks to you about something that doesn't, you know, and, and they're wanting your help, that it's not a burden on their heart. They're burdened down. They have this heavy weight on their shoulders. At least it feels that way to them. I don't care if they're five years old or 50 or 90 years old. If they, 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 they can perceive a problem, it is a weight. It's a burden. And they're, they're burdened down. They're laden down. Come unto me, all you that labor. There you are. That's me. That's you. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You know what people want, don't you? Rest. They want to be able to lay their head on the pillow at night and rest. They want to be able to go through the, the work, uh, the day at, uh, at the job and not be so consumed with what's going on around them and in their lives and that mess that's, that's, that's just seemed to explode in their life. I mean, their marriage is falling apart and they're trying to do their work at, at, you know, at their job and they just can't stop thinking about it. They can't get any rest. They can't get any break. It's just consuming. It's overwhelming. How many times have you heard that word? They want and need rest. He goes on to say, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, I know one thing. My, my yoke isn't easy and my burden isn't light. It's heavy. And I, 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 don't, I do not have all the answers. But I know somebody that is the answer. His name's Jesus Christ. He has it. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You ever been, you ever been you know, laboring and heavy laden? Well, then he says, I'll give you rest. You got to go to him. Somebody comes in with a drug addiction. You don't think that they are bound? You don't feel, believe that, that they're not weighted down by this sin? And someone says, well, help them. Get, help them overcome that. Okay, let me give you a five-step program. One, two, three, four, five. But it doesn't include him. The burden's still there. Because he, the Bible says, Christ alone will give you rest. And you've got to come to him. And then take his yoke upon you. He says, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. You say, how do you deal with a problem in your life? Learn about him. Learn about the Lord. Learn about not only how he handled it, don't, not, not just about how he dealt with it, his, his personal viewpoint of it, but learn about him personally. Learn about who he is, what he's about. Some of his, his attributes and his characteristics and qualities. And you know what you'll start to do? you actually start to believe that he's able to do what he says he can do. You'll start to believe he can really follow through with his promises. And even you, that when you're in a mess, go, you know what? I can't even see a way out of this, but obviously he has a way of escape. Or he wouldn't have put me here. God is able to deliver me. He promised. And I know him. And he's able to do it. But we don't know him. So we're hopeless. I can't overcome this. It's just I've tried a million times. I've, I've gone to AA and I've gone to the pastor and I've gone here and I've done this and I've done... You, but you haven't gone to Him. Don't tell me you've gone to Him. Don't tell me you've really learned about Him. Don't tell me you did exactly what the Bible says, but it didn't work because then you're calling Him a liar. That's it. Right. That's good. That's good. 
someone says, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm dealing with. I don't know what you're dealing with. You're right, I don't. I have no clue probably. I hope I don't in some cases. And I hope you don't want that on anyone else either. But the fact is, is that He is able to deliver us. He's able to give us victory in our life. I don't know how that all works, but I just know it does. I, I don't know, but it does. He works. Amen. See, the key to peace and rest is not the absence of crisis, but the presence of Christ. Amen. See, that's the reality of this. You know, we always think if you just get rid of that crisis in my life, you just deal with that, that obstacle in my life, then I'll be at peace and I'll finally have rest. And he says, no, that's not how you get it. You don't get the rest and the peace by getting rid of the obstacle. Because, see, it's internal, it's spiritual, it's an issue we have to face and deal with. If it's not that, it'll be something else. We've all been there, haven't we? You know how that is. You, you get that phone call from the doc and he says, you know what, you really need to come in for further testing. And immediately you go, oh my gosh, I got cancer and I'm going to die. No rest. All of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're up all night wringing your hands. Oh my gosh, what's it going to be like? My kids are going to be in my parents. Oh, oh God, oh God, oh God, give me peace. Oh God, help me. And all of a sudden, doctor, you go down, you get those tests. And, you know, you really never really got victory over it. You know, you still really were just on a, a basket case, really, inside. You may have faked it along the way, but inside you were a mess. And all of a sudden you go get the test and the doctor comes back and says, well, we got your results. And your heart almost stops. You just know it's going to be bad probably, but you're hoping it's good. And he says, it's nothing. And you go, peace. Peace. Whoo. I can rest. Woo! And you do rest. And you find peace again. Because the crisis was removed. The problem is the next time the crisis comes, guess what you're, where you're at again? Right back in a mess. And see, God doesn't really want us to live that way. I'm not saying I got it all figured out. Let me, I promise you I don't. But what I do know is that the answer is not in eliminating crises. It's not just in getting rid of the alcohol or the drugs or the lust or the videos or the, the, the music or this or that or whatever it is that you're convicted about and what God's put on your heart and what you know doesn't belong in your life. It's not just about getting over that hump, over that crisis. It's about finding Christ. It's about knowing Him. So where do we find about him? Where do we really understand who he is and where is he described and defined? We know where that's at. It's the word of God. John chapter 5 verse 39. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You want to get to know him? Get in the word. Amen. And I'm not just talking about reading it a chapter or two a day. I'm talking about getting in the word. I'm talking about reading through it and as things come up as the Holy Spirit points your direction on a verse and you say, I don't get that verse. I don't, that don't make a lot of sense to me. And I don't know how that word is being used there. It doesn't make sense. I don't really get it. And then take and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at, in, in my Bible and find every time the word boom is used. I'm going to try to understand how that word is being used in the Bible so that I can understand how it's being used here because God obviously directed my attention to it. He wants me to understand that verse. So if I have to, I'm going to look up every single word, not just in a dictionary where some man made up a, a, a definition, I'm going to try to find how God defined it in the Word by looking it up in the Bible. 
Someone says, well, how do I study my Bible? That's one way you can do it, by looking up words in the Word of God. Because the Bible's its own best commentary. It defines itself. And many times there are words that are defined in whether it's dictionaries called Webster or, or, or Smith Dictionary, wherever dictionary you want to look at it, it's not defined based on the usage of the Word of God. It's based on a, a cultural usage. We need to understand how God used it. And these words are in here and they're timeless. Someone says, why should I use a King James Bible? Let me tell you why. Because the words don't change, therefore the meaning doesn't change. You start changing a few of the words in the Bible, you lose that, that, that boom, 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 boom. And along the way, there's this says detour here. Well, which way does it go, left or right? The new Bible doesn't tell you which way it goes. It just says there's a detour. You've got to stop running the word because you just ran out of places where it was used. No, it's used here for reasons. This King James Bible is put together in a way that it works. And it, it defines itself. Man, don't mess with the words of the Bible. Take Satan, or take, uh, the, you know, uh, Satan out of the Bible. Take one of the names of Satan out of the Bible. And you, you, you lose the definition of who and what he's really about. And yet that's how it's working now. We're taking things out. And we have to be careful with that. Or we're replacing words with other words. And all of a sudden, I can't remember the word I'm trying to use, but you, you lose that, um, you follow a, a, a trail, if you will. You know, uh, Hansel and Gretel left a breadcrumb trail. And every time they go here and then a little further, they find another breadcrumb and then another breadcrumb and another breadcrumb. Take a few of those breadcrumbs out of Hansel and Gretel's pathway and they'd have never found their way back. And that's exactly what the new version's doing. They're taking words out of your Bible and therefore when you start running those words through the Word of God, you lose the trail. That's not really the message, but the fact is, is that if it's going to define who God is, then we need to make sure everything's where it belongs so we can truly get a good picture of who and what He is. And by the way, let me just say this. Let's just clear the air. If you've got a problem with what Bible you use and you're not sure which it is, you better get that figured out real quick. And if you think this is a big joke, then let me say something. You need to come see me in my office so that we can really deal with it before you end up using something else. And one day you're down the wrong road and you're worshiping in some church that's using praise music instead of godly music. Just want to help you there for a minute. I went to the Amish country a few days this week. <clears throat> I was, I, it makes me sick to go in those Amish restaurants and listen to Christian rock. They call Christian rock. Are you kidding me? That's no more Christian than the man on the moon. Every one of those guys sounds the same. I love Jesus. I mean, like their voices growly and low. and uh, Everybody sounds exactly alike. They're such individuals. No, they're not. They're sound, they want to sound like a certain thing because that's what's popular. Are you kidding me? Since someone died, how does it honor God when I can't even understand the words of a song. It's amazing to me. What's he say in Psalm chapter 138, verse 2? Um, I'm just going to look at it real quick because I'm going to misquote it. Psalm 138, verse 2. I'm on a roll, so I'm going to go after it. 138, verse 2. Notice what he says here. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Do you see where God places the word of God? He said, well, I, I use Jesus, 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 God and Jesus. I love Jesus and God. Well, let me, let me, how much time you spend in your Bible? 
Well, I love Jesus and I love God. And he magnifies his word above all his name. You're a fake, you're a fake and a phony, friend. You don't even love what he says he loves. This is what's valuable to him. This is what's important to him. Somebody says, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you read it. For, tell me what the verse means then. I, mean, I don't know how you can argue. This book is important in our life, your life, and mine. It describes, it defines who God is, what He's all about. Therefore, what must we do with that book? We need to meditate on it. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. There's a difference between success and good success. Godly success is always good success. We're going to meditate on something. That doesn't mean that you have to have the Word of God out while you're driving down the road. I'm trying to read it, Lord. Man, don't do that when I'm around, you know. You talk about texting as a problem. Can you imagine holding up this big Bible? I mean, that's really a big, big distraction. But we ought to, there ought to be something we read about that morning. There ought to be something we read that afternoon that, that just kind of touched our heart and we're thinking about it. We're meditating on it. We're, we're giving it some consideration. Oh God, bring to my mind what that means, how it can be applied to my life. Lord, what significance does that have in my ministry? And we're meditating on it. We're really asking the Lord, how does this fit and what's it really mean and how's it used to, you know, to glorify you, to magnify you? Lord, I don't, we got to meditate on it. Think about it. Consider it on a continual basis, day and night, it says. Then memorize it. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Somebody comes to you and says, I, I need help get overcoming this particular issue in my life. This sin or this thought life or whatever it might be, whether it's mental, emotional, or spiritual or physical, whatever it might be. Let me tell you, it's always a spiritual root problem. Therefore, one of the things that they need to do is memorize the Scriptures. You know what? We don't do that. Well, I don't want to memorize because then they probably won't do it and then I'll feel like I'm wasting my time. So I'm just going to tell them what I think they need to do. And then if they'll do that, it'll probably help them because I know biblically that's a biblical principle. No, you need to give them the principle, but then give them the verses and say, now memorize that verse. And when we meet next time and when you talk to me next time, I want to hear you tell me what that verse means. Because the truth is, friend, if the Word of God isn't hidden in their heart, it don't matter what you tell them, it isn't going to help. It's the Word of God that'll change a person. We waste our time talking to people over and over and over and over again. Telling them the exact same things over and over and over and over again when it's described and defined the Word of God. Here's the verse. What does that mean? What's God trying to imply? How does that fit your situation? They come up and they say all the right answers. They know exactly what they need to do. We send them on their way. We don't even ask them to memorize the very verse that gives them uh, liberty and freedom. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. That's something you need. You say, I'm having a hard time with something. I haven't sought counseling, but I know I'm having a hard time and I'd like to overcome it. Well, then find some verses that apply and address that, that issue and memorize those scriptures and hide them in your heart and quote them over and over again. And when the devil comes tempting, then quote them and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I know what God's word says. We often say it's not a question of are you in the word, but rather is the word in you. It's been said sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. So number four, we got to close. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was fast. Woo. It's on a roll there. 
So number four. Well, I can't even find it now. I've lost total perspective. Here it is. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Encourage others in the Word of God. Uh, some of you older men, some of these young men, if they come to you and ask you a question, you don't know the answer, don't tell them, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, this is what, you know, I believe and this is what I think and, you know, I've been around a while and blah, 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 and, you know, oh, you, uh, fake your way through it. Don't do that. Say to them, you know what? That's a tremendous question, young man. Matter of fact, I want you to come back to me next Wednesday. I'm going to have some verses for you. And then you go home and study your little heart out if you have to. And you find out what it means because truthfully you ought to be in a, better, a different place spiritually than they are anyway. And if you don't know the answer, you better find some answers. And if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. But you better have at least one good answer and say, here, this is what this verse says about that area you're talking about. You memorize that one, then come back to me next week. You've got a whole other week to study. Before it's over with, you might be an expert in the area that they're having a weakness in. And then you might be able to help somebody. They'll probably get somebody else to say, he helped me. I'm going to go talk to him. Hey, listen, the pastor's not the only person that can help people. But let me tell you something. If you aren't using the word of God to help people, then you are not qualified to help. Amen. You shouldn't be helping. Because if it's what you think, and you can't point to what God says, then you're just fudging your way through. And you have no authority to speak. Oh, you may even be on target with what you're saying. But they don't, in the long run, they're not going to care when the devil comes to tempting them it won't be what you say or what i say it's going to be what god's word says and it better be hidden in their heart they need the word of god let's give it to them let's share it with them and god help us as women older ladies and older men to help some of these younger ones god would have us be a blessing and a help to them do the best we can we're not perfect we don't have all the answers but god help us to have an answer and then another answer and another answer along the way so that we can help them in their walk and their journey for Christ. But let's go ahead and make sure that word of God is hidden in our heart. Let's make it real. Let's make it important. Let's saturate ourselves with the word of God as we seek to overcome sinful habits and lifestyles and get victory in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you mean to us and all you do for us. Bless us, Father.